to the ground. We're back. Another week. Just me and Andrew. Patreon edition. God, I wish you said another great guest. <laughs> you say that every single time. I know, because it hurts a little bit every time you, you don't want to be it. the guest on your own no, podcast. No, it's just, you know, when you're so used to hearing your favorite words. <laughs> Jesus fucking but, Christ. Group yeah, chat new, blowing up. A little new... Uh, did you say Snapchat is blowing up? No, I said group chat. Oh, I was going to say it'd be very funny if you were on Snapchat. No. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we're here. New, uh, I guess, new segment. New sub-podcast. Uh, Running to the ground goes to the movies. Shh. Andrew was very excited for me to use the logo from uh, Gracie Films, mm. but uh, yeah, we uh, a lot of a lot of stuff going on. It was just your birthday. It was. You turned it was great. You turned uh, fifty years young. A big a big <laughs> milestone young. for you. Honestly, you're the fucking pits. Why? As a person. Why? So you've ruined it. Not only am I not fifty. I'm 49. <laughs> no, I'm 42. You put that fucking picture of me up, and then I reposted that, and you would not believe the amount of people who are like, oh my god, your hair. I haven't seen you in so long. And I was so fucking angry that people were like, thought that that was a look I would co-op. Like, it was believable for these people. Like, this fucking Listen, dickhead. that says more about you than it says about me. No, that's the problem, is that now I've mentioned it, it's going to end up in the image carousel, <laughs> it's, uh It replaced your, uh, your contact image in my phone. Oh, God. Fuck you. It's that good. I I hope your track bar stays broken forever, you fucking dickhead. You oh, didn't, God, I'm going to keep I, drinking this fucking I wish, thing. You know, I wish you a happy birthday at, like, midnight 30. Yeah, 12.01. Yeah. You were the you, first. It was you, and then, um, or maybe before you was somebody who lives in New Zealand. <laughs> Yeah, they wished you a happy birthday 17 hours in advance. Yeah, they missed they they wish me happy birthday like tomorrow. But uh yeah, I sent Somehow. you a nice little happy birthday video. You acknowledged it 0%. You well, didn't say I, a word. Yeah, it made me feel very weird. Oh my god. You uh you know, all the things, all those gifts I sent you, you didn't thank me. No, I didn't need to. I knew I knew you you felt it. But um it was great, honestly. Um uh, Liz and I went out for dinner um, to a place called Johnny Rad's here in Baltimore. It was lovely. Uh, we walk in and I see a sign that says like "Wait for serve, wait for like table or whatever." Mm -hmm. So I stand there and Liz goes blowing past it, and I'm like, "Holy shit, she's on a mid like doesn't give a shit." And so I start following her. I'm like, "I, I guess she's just gonna pick her own table." Uh huh. We go, I didn't know there was a back. We go in the back, and there's a bunch of pals that she invited. You know, she didn't invite me to come down. But she didn't need to. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, just a good time. We had a ski ball tournament. Ooh, that's nice. Uh, I do it love was that. my birthday, so I got a bye on the first round, and then immediately lost on the second. So Perfect. Did, you, uh, did they bring out like the birthday saddle? You had the, the ride like at a saddle. like Texas Roadhouse. No, there was no birthday saddle. Although we did have a Big Mac pizza. What like uh, like Big Mac is in the the hamburger, correct? Yes. 
how does that translate to a pizza? It was honestly incredible. Really? And like not something I would ever fucking order in my life. Mm-hmm. But it was like, I'm pretty sure it was a sesame seed pizza crust. Oh. With like, you know, ground beef and American cheese and like, the, like sauce, special sauce. Oh, so like, yeah, like Thousand Island dressing on and, and mayonnaise yeah, yeah. on a pizza. Um, yeah, and then I th- I'm sure they put it on cold mm-hmm. or they put it on after the pizza comes out. I think you gotta, yeah. Um, some lettuce. I, f- I forgot there's no tomato. There was no tomato involved in this pizza. Good. Because I forgot there's famously no tomato on a uh, Big Mac. Big Mac, not a thing I care about. Really? Yeah, but I, like this I pizza like- was tight. I found myself gravitating towards a quarter pounder with cheese. Yeah, sure. So the I don't thing need with the Big middle, Mac, I, I do like middle. the middle bun. Yeah. I I do enjoy, I, I've come to realize that a lot of what makes a good sandwich good, uh, and this is me referring to hamburgers as a sandwich as well, right, sure. uh, is the distribution and like the even distribution of things. Sure. Like they said, actually, <clears throat> the... What makes a, a good sandwich taste good is the air in between the layers. The That's why you're supposed to like drape, you know, the uh, the lunch meat over it. You kind of uh-huh. like roll it back on itself a little bit. Sure. Because you know everyone's had like that Italian sub where it's just all the meat is compressed into a brick. Sure. And then you actually don't taste really any of it. It just brick tastes like meat. Yeah. And uh, but if you like well, layer that's like everything, anybody who makes some sort of. Ahead of time. And even like Wawa, they still batch the meat ahead of time. Yeah. So a great example of how I came to realize that back to hamburgers real quick is, have you ever heard of White Mana, the famous hamburger spot up in, well, there's one in Jersey City and there's one in Hackensack. They've been featured on all the cooking, all the travel food shows and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're like one of the early sliders hamburger spots. Okay. And uh, the one in Jersey City has a special that's like three sliders and fries or whatever. But for the same price, you can get one quarter pounder, which sure. is essentially the same as three sliders. But right. the sliders taste infinitely better than the quarter pounder because the distribution is right. The hmm. bun to cheese to meat is like perfect. And then when you got the quarter pounder, that ratio is off and it kind of doesn't taste as good. Hmm. So I think that's what it comes down to. But yeah, that extra bun sometimes does make a Big Mac good. Sure. Do you remember when they had the three Big Mac sizes? No. Yeah, very oh, briefly. Was there like the, the Mac Junior or whatever it yeah, was? Yeah, Mac okay. Junior. I do remember um, the Mac Junior. Or maybe, I don't think it was called the Mac Junior, because that's too much like Whopper Junior. Oh, true. That is what But I'm there was of. like a Little Mac, maybe. Oh, okay. And that then there sense. was like a bigger Big Mac. <laughs> a and huge if Mac. I... It is. It was amazing. I had one once. <laughs> what a treat! That's then how. That's then crazy. Never had it again. Well, that's. I mean, that's kind of like uh, in and out. You can get like however many times, right, whatever, right. like the four right. by four or whatever. Yeah. Are you are you an uh, in and out fan? It's fine. I think the burgers are good. The fries are inexcusable. Uh, the fries are absolute trash. What's wrong with the fries? Oh, they just taste like shit. Like the whole thing is like they slight like they julienne them like right. directly into the fryer. Okay. But they just they never taste seasoned well enough. They mm. they never quite taste cooked enough. 
Like they're they're leagues apart from like a McDonald's fry. Better? No, terrible. They're they're bad. Okay. Yeah. I had um I had a very disappointing fry here. My least favorite style of fry are like the hand cut but like super greasy. So greasy they're like brown. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't understand why people like fries like that, but Yeah, what's your what's your top 5 fry? Mm. Uh, pre- preparation style. Steak? Are is it your favorite? Yeah. Okay, steak. Steak's a good one. Yeah, if steak, it's salty enough. Um crinkle waffle shoestring I don't know. Tots, I guess. I, I don't really care, but I don't know. I just thought tots because, like, curly fry? Curly fry. Curly fries. Well, I guess that's kind of like shoestring. Well, or, like, a seasoned fry? Yeah. I love if a seasoned talking, fry. If we're talking t- toppings, can we start talking about disco fries? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole other conversation, I guess. Do you like disco fries over cheese fries? Infinitely more. Really? Yeah, I don't care about cheese fries. I mean, there was a very brief period of time where my diner order at night was the most sadistic shit. Black coffee, half a grapefruit, oh, that's mozzarella a, fries. That's an interesting little... Uh, I, thought I, was, I thought I was very cool. Or like dry rye toast. I love a, I love a black coffee and a grapefruit, though. Sure. I think that's a, that's a kind of not represented breakfast choice these days. Uh, half a grapefruit? Yeah, you don't see people eating grapefruit these days. No, I feel like grapefruits are for the rich folk. <laughs> oh, is that, is that true? I haven't I looked mean, at the price of grapefruits uh, these days. I but I used yeah. to love like uh, half a grapefruit with a little honey on it for breakfast. Grapefruit with honey? Yeah, a little bit of honey. Is so good. I don't think so. So good. Uh, so, our last episode, Gangbusters, with yeah. uh, Mike from Piazza and the Teeth. You're addicted to Bonnie Vare now. We've come I can't to find stop. out. Oh, what? Sorry, I pulled my headphones out. Oh my out God. of excitement, sheer excitement. <laughs> You're right. I um, I can't get enough. I can't get enough. It's not like anything I've ever heard, but it's also something that I've always wanted. Okay. Interesting. Um, That's a fun just discovery, like s- you know? Sort of I don't know. It's just like it's it's songwriting I've never heard before. Um I don't know what else to say. I, I, I enjoy the entire catalog. The only record I kinda don't like is the rock record or like the full band record? Oh, the self-titled one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I like it. I, I never, I never me. got a chance to go back and listen to um to the to later. Actually, no, I did. I listened to it that night, and it didn't quite hook me. But I was a little like I had, I had other shit going on, yeah. so I was like in the background. But uh, I was talking to a friend of the pod, former guest Daniel Danger, mm. and I told him that we just had Mike from Piano Zonk. He he loves Piano's to come the teeth as well, mm. and. Uh, King of Ideas, Daniel Danger, uh, inventor of the the viral dollar uh, grilled cheese cart idea. Uh, he came up with another idea. He says, 
a reality show where we build 100 tiny cabins in the woods and invite everyone who's ever said they wanted to get a cabin and record an acoustic record like Bonnie Bear, send them all out there at once, not knowing there's 99 others. And after a month, it's revealed that 99 bros are all doing the same thing and all their records are judged and ranked from 1 to 100. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> and even, even if you just got 10 people and did that... <laughs> And he goes. I don't know where you get the real estate for a hundred cabins, oh, Mister Danger. He sent but... me. He sent me like a real estate listing for forty acres of <laughs> recreational hunting <laughs> land in Wurtsboro, New York. So oh. he's he's already on the move. But uh, he goes just one hundred confused plaid wearing dudes with bad beards, all holding their supplied Tascam four track, looking confused why that bald YouTuber record guy is sitting on a giant throne, demanding to be brought the next alone in a cabin EP. A panel of judges wearing all wear cloaks. Top prizes guaranteed. Pitchfork best new music. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine the chaos of 100 dudes slowly figuring out everyone in this cabin rental property is there to write a solo EP in isolation on a Tascam 4 track. Uh, and I'm like, well, are they allowed to join forces? Or are they locked inside the cabin? He goes, they don't know. They're not allowed to leave the cabin past the porch and wood chopping station. <laughs> how much room do you have to have between these? I don't know. It depends on how heavily wooded it is, I suppose. He says mm. they only get uh, you only get coffee and beans to eat. Okay. And uh, <laughs> he goes, if they win various challenges, maybe they get a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sent me real estate listings. So, you, How do you find like a hundred dudes who just went through breakups? Uh, I don't know. Plaid with very long beards and... It's it's oh, so it's great. Cool. It's such a good idea. Like just as like a human experiment, you know. Can't get it get it sponsored by Wallace and Barnes. <laughs> oh man, yeah, they all get their their uh just standard red and black like buffalo check flannel, you know, mm. standard issue. Mm-hmm. Oh man, but yeah, I thought a that was duck such a chore coat if it starts raining. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I think so. That was such a funny idea. I, I really enjoyed that. But yeah, I'm trying to think. I just had uh, my roommate made me um, TikTok famous pickle soup, and uh, Andrew was very happy to see me chowing down on that. Uh, Fu- it's fucking right revolting, is what it is. It was actually really good. I would rather. I guess I would rather watch you dr- eat that than me c- continue drinking this awful fucking beer, but... What are you drinking again? Uh, Flying Dogs Raging Bitch IPA. Oh, is that... Who, what would so compel anyone to buy that? Let alone make bad. it. I don't know. A friend of mine who's really into beer <laughs> thought he was doing me a solid by bringing over, like, randos from his fridge. Oh, man. And I it's mean, awful. you gotta like, bring something. Sure. Um, Dan, you haven't commented on the fact that you're wearing a Phillies jacket. Yes. The fact that I'm wearing a nineties, uh, majestic brand bullpen jacket. Oh, was that a birthday gift? It was a Facebook marketplace find. Oh man. That's pretty nice. That's pretty cool. 
Uh, and just to signify that it is, if I understand press time, uh, it will be 58 days until opening day. <laughs> nice. Did I ever tell you about the time I went to uh, a Phillies game when I was super, super young? I think I showed you. I still have the stub for it. Mm. I think I sent it to you when, like, over the holidays when I was at my parents. And I didn't respond, did I? You did not respond. Fucking dickhead. <laughs> it Truly. I'm finally trying to... I'm trying to bond with you on a thing that you enjoy and you still give me nothing i uh, used to be a, a five minute top responder yeah like you were a first I, responder salute um and now i'm like i'm lucky if i get to it the next day Ugh, it's I really it. it really but is i terrible. also sort of like it i just you know i used to just always have it in my hand and mm-hmm. now i like see it come in on my watch and i think i'll get to it <laughs> I Dan stopped, I st- I stopped wearing the, uh, the Apple Watch. Did you really? Did yeah. I tell you? I you found lost yours. mine? Yeah, you lost yours forever, and then you kept getting mad at me because I kept requesting to fault, like, add yeah. you on the Is fitness tracker. Is that why tracker. you stopped wearing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I, if I couldn't figure out where you were at all times, it wasn't worth wearing. I went back to wearing an analog watch, and, uh, you know, it's been nicer. I do miss the old the old Timex uh, camp watch. It is nice. Timex camp watch is a classic. I love that thing. But Scout watch? I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, I forget it's the Scout watch or the Explorer watch. I don't know. Mm. But yeah, it's a classic design. Like a nice like olive drab cloth strap on there. Yep. Do you know why I got that watch? Why? To tell time. You know, that's a great reason. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I started wearing a watch during a time a lot of people weren't wearing watches, I feel. At least I the youths. I don't love wearing a watch. Oh, I can't leave the house without, like, where, like, it feels like I'm missing something if I don't have it on. Do you know what I think is crazy? That I've noticed the amount of uh, adult men that don't wear belts. That's crazy to me. I, I, do, I just can't imagine leaving the house without a belt on. I mean, as someone who, I mean, I think it's privilege to not have to wear a belt. Right, you're but not as someone fat. with like no ass and a gut, like yeah, pushing down on the pants and nothing to yeah. hold it up, right? You know, the belt is. I'm, I'm, I'm like thinking, thinking about becoming like a suspenders guy. Like I'm at that point. I sometimes you just you become a suspenders guy. There's something grossly dignified about suspenders, if we can be honest. Yeah, I feel like if I if I have suspenders, I need to buy also like a shoulder holster to balance it out. Oh, uh, like people need to see that you're tough. <laughs> no, I just feel like those are the they cancel each other out. Like oh, suspenders are like uncool enough that like adding a shoulder holster like balances it back to zero. Shoulder okay, holsters, well, which we'll talk about shortly. <laughs> what, yeah. Carlos yeah. <laughs> from Interval wears. Um but yeah, it's I started wearing a watch during when I started shooting weddings out of college. Yeah. Because now that's like twelve years ago. Yeah. And 12 years ago, there was, like, a stigma about looking at your phone. Yeah. You know? So, like, the idea of, like, taking my phone out of a pocket during, like, a church service, like, during a wedding, was, like, considered, like, way more rude or, like, insensitive. Sure. And now, I mean, now, no one gives a fuck. Like, no it's, one gives it's a crazy. Fuck. But, you know, not being able to, like, look at my phone all the time and then, like, still having to be on a schedule, I started mm-hmm. wearing, like, a, yeah, like, same deal. Like, I think I had, like, a Timex camp watch it was the same reason i was doing uh i was doing um like public uh coffee classes mm-hmm. on the weekends and uh 
And I didn't want to keep looking at my phone. It felt super unprofessional to keep looking at my yeah, phone. Exactly. And uh, I couldn't count on people having clocks. So I had to start doing a watch thing. Anyway, Dan, do you want to talk about this fucking <laughs> stupid shit? <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 st- I, I got to say, it's nice not wearing the Apple Watch. Because I was feeling like a little... Again, my phone is always in my hand. It's always in my pockets, whatever. Right. But I do find that like I was looking at messages on my phone and then not answering them yeah, on my phone. It was it's 100%. My watch. And then also, yeah. like, it's not, it's fun to not be that, that accessible. Hmm. Like, even just the barrier of, like, my phone being in my pocket, like, it's so, it's completely yeah. unavoidable on your wrist, you know? Um, oh, the only thing that I hate is the breathe thing. You can turn all that off. Well, I don't know how, and, and it's just, um, I let it annoy me. Oh, yeah, that sounds miserable. So all let's right. breathe as we, as you meet me in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh this this fucking okay, documentary so hold on how do you want to do it? do you want to talk about like like the documentary or do you want to talk about like the bands one at a time or like i mean what the, do you think? the way i took notes was kind of chronological like as i watched the doc okay um but i guess we should start off with like a bit of a like a briefing like okay, what, so what was this era me, of music for you? Um, for me, here's the thing. And I, and I thought, I thought about this a lot. Um, the only bands that I listened to at the time and really the only bands I still go back to are the two most insufferable fucking characters in this whole thing. The moldy peaches. No, <laughs> uh, cause the two, the two further more insufferable people. Uh, James Murphy and Ryan Adams. Fuck. <laughs> Those are like the only people yeah, whose brutal. music I, I go back to. Brutal. Um, I never considered Ryan Adams like part of this scene. Yeah, and but I, I, never, I never thought of Ryan Adams as a New Yorker. I gotta tell you, um, I don't know what it was for you growing up just a little bit further north or like closer to this, but mm-hmm. there was like a real hatred of New York when I was growing up. Uh, I never really got that. Okay. Uh, or at least I, I mean, never paid attention to it. But also, where I grew up in New Jersey is a unique, unique place in the sense that Phillies fans and, and Yankees fans kind of lived amongst each other. Right. And, like, once you get, like, literally just south of, like, you know, the dividing line of, like, Hamilton and Bordentown. Like, yeah, Bordentown, South Jersey. Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, once you get into Phillies territory, yep. it's... All bets are off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, once you get into, like, Burlington County. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, people hated New York during this era? I mean, I just, I don't remember, I remember hating New York for, I mean, with, for no reason, but, um, and anything that was, like, a product of New York, I was immediately like, this is corny. Like, all the Brooklyn stuff, my first response was, this is fucking corny. (laughs) Yeah. Um... Mostly because, like, the stuff that I wanted out of that, I was already getting from Discord. You know what I mean? I was already getting True. from Q and not you. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're New York. But, you know what I mean? I, like, I felt like my needs were getting met for this kind of music. Or, I, you know, I don't, e- I, don't, I don't even want to be that reductive to say this kind of music, because there's a lot of kinds of music represented here. But, but I would say that I was getting all those needs met. Um, 
you know, I did like Interpol. Okay. I think out of that whole batch, I think I like Interpol the most. Um, or like it's, you know, the, the material I go back to the most. Um, but even, you know, I check out around, like they, they didn't even mention, it's so funny where, where this whole thing leaves off to, mm-hmm. um, is that it just sort of stops. I mean, yeah. Like what, you know what I mean? Like there's no, they don't go into like the real decline of, of, uh, Western of, civilization uh, part two. They don't go into like the decline of the strokes putting out room on fire mm, and how like yeah. that whole release was botched and sort of ruined the band. Um, they don't talk about, you know, Interpol, you know, post Carlos and what, that, what happened sort of what made their style change. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very much about the heyday and only the heyday. Yeah. Like, you know, normal, normal films. And part of this is like, I I sort of think it's corny the amount of like artistic shots and like you could have you could have cut twenty minutes of that out <laughs> and given me like more in depth information like one of the main characters of the book I don't know if did you read the book no I know you did so I'm curious to see like the parallels so one of the main characters in the beginning of the book because you can split the book up into essentially four parts okay. right it starts with John a band called Jonathan Fire Eater. Oh, they who didn't I was, mention that at all in the documentary. No, who I was wholly unfamiliar with. To start the documentary off with the fucking, fucking moldy, moldy peaches. Moldy peaches. Fuck off. The worst. So, right off the, the bat, I think I that's like, the first thing. hit by a fucking car? That's the, that's, I think, what spurned this whole thing, actually. It's like, even, because I, I, this is, I watched it a second time for the pod. I watched it a couple weeks ago for the first time. And was like, we got to talk about this. I have so much to say. And uh, the first thing I think I texted you was just like, God, the moldy peaches seem like the most insufferable band. <laughs> and you wholeheartedly agreed. 100%. I oh, that like... fucking dirty... I like music the, the, for the sake of art. The dirty you know I mean? like, rabbit yeah. head is just... And just being like weird for the sake of being weird. Like yeah, running exactly. through New York, like begging people for high fives. Yeah. And like laying in the middle of the street. It's like, oh, I did that shit like in Boy Scout camp, but I was, I was 13 years old. It is so, it's such like a, it's just a disappointing addition to the movie that wasn't present in the book at all. The Moldy Peaches weren't in the book at all? At all. Not that I remember. So, yeah, they're kind of the line that goes through the entire documentary. Right. I guess they just had so much footage. Like, because... They have footage from yeah, then like the late nineties. Yeah, and they're saying specifically that they're making a documentary. Like yeah, that was like before this book was written. You right, know, right. so yeah, are, did the, they just so find not, people who had footage of all this stuff? I guess. I mean, I think I think you sort of have to. Like, how close is the writer of the to, book okay. with the maker of the documentary? Here's the thing: you have to start somewhere with this story, right? True. True. Like. The main the main characters are the Strokes. I yeah I guess like but everything it's, it's marginal though because I right. think Every, but everything I think the is other main t- characters are yeah yeah yes well yeah yeah I mean all the bands represented with the exception of TV on the radio who are like barely mentioned uh, who, um, who maybe are some of the most talented of any of the bands 100%. mentioned at all oh, my <laughs> you God. know they were doing um, something that like 
was beyond the reach yep. of a lot of the other bands at the time. Yeah. The and fact that like they, they like showed uh they showed uh liars. Oh, but yeah. didn't really talk about liars at all. Uh, that 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 like thirty seconds of liars yeah. uh, that they played before that concert with the AAS. I was like, yeah, I I want that whole set. Like, I 100%. just want to hear and more liars. Yeah. Do you know what I don't need? I don't need to see the entire maps video that I've seen a thousand <laughs> oh, times. So we're we're really jumping ahead. But okay. So I do so have to say beginning- that that maps video though was like a revelatory moment. Hunt. Yeah. Sure. Like, when that video came out, like. I wasn't a big yeah 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 fan, yeah. But that video was like okay, like there's something here. Like it, sure. it, it would make me stop and watch it every time I was on. True. There, there was some. Um, there's something about it. It was just like it's weird because it's not reflective of the rest of their catalog in any way. No, but that song is so good. It's so good. Um. Okay. So the beginning of the book is all the predecessor is this band called Jonathan Fire Eater. Okay. Which, which uh. If you've never listened, I would say, um, sorry, uh, nope, that's not what I meant to do. Start with the record. Oh, uh, Tremble Under Boom Lights. It's, I get, I think it's their first record. Um, there's two records. The, it's the band that went on to be the Walkmen. Oh, okay. Um, and I think it's just the lead singer from Jonathan Fire Eater that left, and everybody else started the Walkman. If I if I'm understanding correctly, okay. Um, but I, you know, I I listened to it the first time, you know, when I read the book, and I, I didn't care, and then I went back again and I listened to it, and I liked it a lot more. Um, and that, like I said, that first record is is very good. It's very like sex man guitar music okay um which is not a genre that i return to very often but (laughs) yeah you know it's like the it's like the origin of uh of like queens of the stone age like sex man guitars i I know you're a fan i'm not a fan of queens of the stone age i don't understand i've also never listened to it outside of like that music video where he's like playing guitar on a moving car yeah yeah that's a great that's a great song is it yeah, yeah. It just it was just like inundated <clears throat> with it when it came out. I think turned it's, me off to it. It's exciting. It's exciting rock music. Okay. Um. Anyway, um. So then it goes into the Strokes, right? And the Strokes, like in the book, are definitely sort of the main character. Um, and I felt like that through the documentary too, like they were the one constant band that got mentioned in relation to all the other bands. Yeah. Um, cause they, I mean, they were kind of putting out their second record as a lot of those bands are putting out their first at the time. Like, right. They were, they were the Algernon Cadwallader of the emo revival. Like they were just a step too soon a little bit. Well, they, they were also, they were the trendsetters though. Right. They were the ones that everyone was like, Oh, I want to be a part of this. Like, I, like think- I don't, I don't understand the timeline, like, uh, especially as it relates to the, the material in the documentary. I think I, the documentary a, blurs that a little bit. Yeah. It's a little fuzzy, but like they had been a band playing like the Mercury lounge, yeah. um, and played it weekly. That's crazy. Which I just can't imagine. And there would be like more and more people to shows, which blows my mind. Um, and then is this it came out and like, I, have you listened to it recently? No, I don't think I've ever listened to a Strokes album 
in full. So it's here's it's something good. to pre- preface all of this. We've okay. already gone so far, but this was not my era of music. Right. Like this was, I don't, I existed around it. I knew a lot of people who were into this, mm-hmm. but it was never something that I gravitated to. Sure. I was never a big Strokes fan. Interpol here and there, yeah. Uh, I mean, go back and listen to our Interpol uh, episode with Front of the Pod Nisa. But, uh, you know, yeah, 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 same thing. Like, I heard them, like, I like saw the video for Date with the Night, like, way back. I was like, oh, that's kind of sick. Um, but I, I existed on, on the periphery of this stuff existing. But, I, sure. you know, at this time, I was listening to... And probably a lot of the same stuff you were listening to, Saves the Day and Dashboard and, you know, more of like the Vagrant Records sure. era stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, this was, I think this was all a little pop for me at the time, especially yeah. because I, this was hitting me much later than it was. Yeah. Like, I wasn't listening to the AAS in 2001. Yeah. You know, I probably didn't listen to them until... 2004 and by I that mean, time i only recently revisited their catalog yeah but, i think i well, um yeah what's I, crazy then, to me is they they touch on it in the documentary i don't know if they mentioned it in the book but they basically say the strokes were like a gut reaction to bands like the offspring and blink 182 being popular yeah and that's crazy to me yeah. Like, that's the same deal with, like, you know, that's like saying, you know, grunge was a reaction to hair metal, you know? But it's just like, oh, this is the music that comes out of rebelling against pop punk? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, like, it's so yeah, but weird. I think, I think, I think things go... In a 30-year cycle? <laughs> no, but, I, like... How do I word this? Like, it gets clean. It get, it starts dirty, and it gets progressively cleaner. Yeah. Until it gets dirty, and again. then it resets. Until it gets like yeah. grunge again. Not grunge, but not grunge as a style, but grunge as like an grittier, lo-fi. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, there's always there's always a great reset. And I um, guess Strokes were kind of the closest thing of the time of like returning to that era of like Motley Crue. Like, kind of going back to hair metal, like, lifestyle-wise. It's like, we're the band that brings girls backstage and, like, I don't see, get I wasted. Don't, and I don't see them like that. Like, I, I see them as a bunch of, like, dudes who just love to hang out. I like, think, I, think I see it, them much more accessible and much less, like, lustful. I mean, I, I think it was on Worst Possible Timeline, but I think Pat was talking about someone they knew who, like was recently, like, on the crew on tour with The Strokes. Or, like, was with a band that was on tour with The Strokes. And was just like, The Strokes are still, like... They're still getting girls backstage and, like, not checking IDs and shit. <laughs> like, wow. They're still trying to do that as, like, a band in the 2020s, you know? Sure. And there's no band. Like, I think Pat even said, is like, listen, I don't want any women backstage. I don't want there to be an idea that there's women backstage. Like, I don't sure. want to be... I'm going to be a thousand miles away from any of that happening, you know? Yeah. And uh, so he said they're very much still kind of in that rock and roll mindset of just, like, get fucking obliterated and then play sloppy Yeah, but if we're talking about now, it's probably a very different mindset from... 
I mean, we're get we're we're twenty years removed oh, from yeah. this this it now. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. th- it's not this isn't the same group of people. I mean, like physically it is, but like you know, well, um, I, I wanna I wanna take a little step back because the first thing I also said, uh like thinking about doing this with this uh documentary was probably my most prominent memory of the strokes is there was a kid in my high school who constantly bragged that his cousin was the manager of the strokes and i ryan gentles i guess yeah that's his name i know he's he was like the the guy who ran the mercury lounge right or like booked it or whatever but i did a job uh it was one of the first jobs i did for morrison hotel gallery was the photographer of the strokes at that of this time uh actually my friend nancy who i met that night uh she was also a big photographer of this era we should we should have her on i should reach out um but the photographer was there and uh who's the bass player of the strokes i forget uh nikolai i guess yeah well he (laughs) he showed up to the event and of course my (laughs) i'm in the same room as these people and my first thing is like hey can you solve this thing for me and I was like, hey, this kid I went to high school with always said that his cousin was the manager of the Strokes. Do you recognize this name? And they're like, we have no idea who that is. Nice. <laughs> and I was just like, that was the one thing I asked them. I was like, can you solve this thing that's been rattling around my brain for like 15 years? And uh, yeah, he's a big fat liar. It's great. I'm sure they appreciate that change of pace. You know? <laughs> yeah. Instead of me asking them about what was it like to record or something. But... I uh, another thing I love about the stock is um, the first adjective they use to describe Julian Casablancas right off the bat is he's just described as some drunk guy. (laughs) 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 Before they even say Julian, they're like some drunk guy at a party doing coke in the bathroom. I found out was the singer of the Strokes, and it's like. I love that he's just carried that title for all this all this time too. It's just being I mean, the drunk heavy guy. Heavy is the crown, I'm sure. Mm. Oh man, but yeah, the fact that they open up with like the Moldy Peaches singing, essentially karaoke to their own songs in Fuck. their like shitty apartment, and then they like open their door and there's a bunch of people coming down the hallway that they like goad into quote unquote being in a documentary. And they were all wearing suits. And at first, I was like, is this another band of the era? Because, like, the Strokes all wear, and, like, Interpol all wore suits. So I was like, are these finance bros, or are they other weird musicians of this of this book? Uh, the, the You know, the jury's still out. I'm not sure. I think that was one guy in a suit. <laughs> and then there was, like... I don't know. The other two people seem to be like uh, foreign. <laughs> can you, can I, you imagine uh, being the Moldy Peach's neighbor, though? No. Oh, God. Like just hearing them sing twee songs. I would stink bomb that house <laughs> the, daily. The thing. So, my biggest takeaway about the Moldy Peaches is they seem like people who would be one of the weird interstitial characters in that show, High Maintenance. Oh, are you, yeah. Are you familiar with that show? Sure. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, all of the people in the show, these like little like 
vignettes he like finds himself in are all like the worst people you know in New York. But isn't that like just the show? That's the show. And I don't know I mean, why people like the show that much because like everyone they feature are like the worst people you know in New York. Not all of them. They're Most all pretty bad. They're like, oh, here's them. the the hippie neighbor with the armpit hair who has, you know, spiritual scream retreats in her backyard. <laughs> like, I love it. Uh, but that that's the Moldy Peaches. Like, oh, here's this weird skinny dude and a girl wears like a dirty rabbit hat. And uh, and they they sing weird songs uh, in their in their in their uh, apartment building, you know. I'd be like, skip ahead, next weird couple it. on the show. Uh, but yeah, so this also brought me back to Y two K hysteria, which I think was uh, a very yeah, fun I, time. I to hadn't be alive. thought about that for a very very long time. Do you what What did you do on that New Year's? Because I, I I have was, a very specific memory that popped in, into my head. I was in downtown Tucson. Oh. Um, I was standing in front of Club Congress, and I lo- was looking around and realized that there were police snipers on the roof. Oh my god! Um, was it Dealey Square? <laughs> I guess no, it's Arizona. Never mind. I'm thinking right. Texas, um, Tucson, Texas, and that and that made me feel really weird. Um, yeah, I can imagine. I had there was a there was a diner in downtown Tucson called the Grill. Um, and for like $5, you could buy a box of Captain Crunch. Like on the menu was a box of Captain Crunch. Like a whole box? Yeah, they would bring you a rips. mixing bowl and like a uh, however much milk you needed. And you could just pour the whole box in that bowl if you want to? Yep. Shit. Yeah, it was, That's it wacky. was sort of great. That That's and cool. fried ravioli were great wow. to have at the same place. Disco fries? Um, no, I don't remember getting the fries. Um, yeah, that and, and coffee. And then I remember going home. So th- that's how you spent Y2K? That's how I spent Y2K. The next day I woke up and probably went to my Hot Topic mall job. I will have to talk about that on another episode. <laughs> <laughs> you want to unpack that? Yeah, yeah. Hey, we can bring my friend Jason on. He uh, he also worked at Hot Topic in in, in his high school days. But... Oh, I wasn't in high school. This, well, I, I guess well, I was high school age, but... <laughs> Did you drop out of high school? Yeah. Really? I didn't yeah. know that about you. And I, and I went to college. <laughs> do, you, do you have a GED at all? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking rips. <laughs> yeah, I don't think... I know I have a bachelor's degree. I, I don't know if it's... I don't know if that's predicated on me having passed high school. It's, it's, but everything's null and void. Every every accomplishment you've had until you get your I GED did just is, have like a worthless. background check for work. I wonder if they didn't even check high school. If they're just like, who the fuck would lie? Who the fuck cares school? anymore? I've never had anyone. Well, I mean, I work in the arts, but I've never had anybody like ask to see my fucking degrees ever. No. Um, wow. But my my Y two K was. My me and my family went over to like a friend I knew from Boy Scouts's house because uh, both my dad and his dad were also like you know scout leaders and whatnot. And I still my parents still talk about it. They're like, oh, I remember we went over to their house and they had a they made a dance floor in the garage. <laughs> you know, like it's still talk of the town. But here's a memory that came up re- recently while watching this was 
I had totally blacked out the fact that the owner of the house fired a gun into the air at midnight. (laughs) He had a silver revolver and uh, he fired a shot into the night sky and it was directly across the street from an elementary school. (laughs) Like as far into the burbs as you could possibly imagine in central New Jersey. That's insane. And he shot a gun into the air. But Where also, do you think that bullet ended up? Who knows? Probably like in the windshield of someone's car. But uh, insane! What a what a crazy thing to do! <laughs> but it was also insane. like the two thousands. No one, no one knew what to expect. Yeah, no one knew. What we all thought were. we were gonna die because the computer's date wasn't gonna work. What a crazy time thinking about that. Yeah, I remember somebody saying, like, did you take all your money out of the bank? Yes! <laughs> yes! I said, what oh. money? <laughs> <laughs> they, I remember, here's an even crazier thing that just popped into my head in terms of, like, the hysteria of the era. They said that the game Elf Bowling was actually the Y2K virus. And if you had it on your computer at midnight, it was going to, like, nuke your computer. Huh. Do you remember Elf Bowling? I don't. Oh, wow. It was a weird, like... F- like flash game where you you bowled into like a bunch of you're santa and you bowled into a bunch of elves as the pins i hate it and they made a movie they made an elf bowling movie too horrible but i I just remember that being conflated as being part of like the y2k virus which is fucking hilarious but uh, let's let's get back to Okay, moving Where do we on. leave off? So, so Karen O meets Nick Zinner. Uh, we and... gotta talk about Nick Zinner for a second. Go ahead. Maybe the coolest person involved in this entire music I scene. I don't remember him saying a single word. That's the best part. Like, he's done so much. He's like a little elf man. He really elf is, with, with really cool hair. Uh, but I found out he shares a birthday with me. That's We had nice the same birthday. Him. Uh... He did guitar and keyboards on Digital Ash and the Digital Urn. Yeah. And then and he was in guitar he- on, uh, he was what? He was in Headwound City. Oh, yeah. With- he also played, played guitar on the Better Oblivion Community uh-huh. Center stuff. Yep. Did you, uh, did you ever get into Headwound City? Sure. Oh, so fucking good. I never got into the second record. They did a record in 2016, which is crazy. Huh. But they also reissued the original one. And yeah, it's it's the guys from the Blood Brothers and Justin Pearson and Nick mm-hmm. Zinner. Like, crazy supergroup. Yeah, what a good band. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, I have it, I have like the reissue on vinyl. I gotta go spin that Ooh. next time at my parents' house. Spin it, bro. Gotta spin the platters, man. Dog. Okay, uh, so... <laughs> Fucking Karen O meets Nick Zinner. Um, they start a band. It's sort of wild. Uh, I really liked the song that was like her solo. You know, in the documentary, it's mm-hmm. like she was like, I showed Nick some songs I wrote. Oh, yeah. Cause she was and like super shy. play a song. And it's so good. I looked all over for that song. Oh, and you can't find it? No, I mean, I didn't look that hard, okay. but, um, <laughs> but it's so, that song is so good. And it, it sort of, that one thing sort of colored the AAS a little different for me. Okay. Um, and I listened, I listened to most of the records today. Um, and it's, it's real good. It's, it's, it's not something I 
want very much, but it's real good. Yeah. They're they're kind of like they're kind of minimalist a little bit in in like sure. what they're doing. Like it's very but then it gets super chaotic. Like I think Nick Zinner, like as a guitar player, is is like fairly influential, but I feel like should be more so. Yeah, but also like that band's just three very talented musicians. Yeah. Like Yeah. I've never heard anybody play drums like that. Yeah. It's really good. And he looks like a fucking nerd. <laughs> He's such a dork. <laughs> I was gonna say that kind of um, that kind of goes for most of the people in this documentary. Though. I also knew nothing about Karen O. Okay, and um, and just kind of like seeing, sort of you know what. It's really hard to see what portion of this is just people like romanticizing their lives versus like reality. I don't. I would never imagine that like this is a hundred percent based in reality. I'd say sixty percent. I mean, any nostalgia-based documentary is going to have people, like, wistful. And it's always like, oh, these were the golden times, blah, blah, blah. And they they actually do the record scratch in this, where it's like, oh, all this crazy shit was happening. And then 9-11. Oh, they did do the scratch to 9-11. That was a really dark scene where they have Paul Banks, like, walking around picking up like papers off yeah. the street on nine eleven. Yeah. It's... Maybe that was nine twelve, but <laughs> uh Yeah, where where were you during nine eleven? Uh I was at my mom's house. I woke up like just in time for the second plane. Who Hell knows yeah. why? I think I was very hungover. <laughs> um Yeah. My mom stayed home from work. I don't remember why my mom stayed home from work. She got the call not to come in that day. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) She's on their side. Um, (laughs) She was dancing uh, in the streets afterwards. It was very weird. Um look, actually, now that we're talking about 9-11, I don't did you listen to the most recent um worst possible timeline episode? I think so. Yeah, I think I'm caught up. They have a chat with like the the Osama bot. Oh, I don't know if I heard that. That's very good. Oh man, I uh, yeah, I was in eighth grade. I think I always thought I was in seventh grade when it happened, and then I realized the thing it was actually in eighth grade, and it blew right. my mind. I like totally like, misremembered history. Yeah, uh, but I remember hearing about it in woodshop class, and totally just assuming it was like a small like single engine plane or something. Like not so you a big had deal. Woodshop class first thing in the morning. I had woodshop class at yeah first period. Huh. It was crazy, but uh, yeah, I remember not thinking too much about it, and then uh, then they sent us all home. Right. And I went over to my friend Kevin's house, and we watched the second plane hit on TV. That's like, impossible. That's how early they sent us home. No. Yeah. How much time was there between those two planes hitting? I think like an hour and 12 minutes or something. No fucking way. I don't know. I think so. I Let me see what happens if I just type in. I mean, there's a very good chance I misremembered, considering I thought I was an entire year earlier than How it actually happened. How long between planes? <laughs> this is a fun Or maybe, on a maybe it wasn't list. the second plane hit, but I watched like the, you know, the tower fall or something. Some key moment happened live when I was watching the television. It must 34 have been, minutes. Okay, then it must have been like we watched the tower fall 
9.37 a.m. Yeah, when did they fall? Because I think I got back around like 10.30-ish or something. 9.58. Okay, that makes more sense. Wait, hold on. I don't like... Why am I looking at this? Um, 8.46 a.m. The first plane hits. 9.03 when the second plane hits. 9.37, 9.37, the Pentagon. Uh, 9.59, the South Tower collapses four minutes later. Flight 93 crashes. 10.28, the North Tower collapses. Whole thing was 102 minutes. Wow. The um, Well, I'm glad we just relived that on a fun night. I know. Do you, uh, do you ever have fantasies of what you would have done if you were there no oh fantasy is not the right word <laughs> yeah i don't think that that's the right word at all uh have, have i ever imagined? have i ever thought about what i would do if i was on one of the planes <laughs> yeah no I, I was thinking if i was like in new york or like where i live now oh when it happened. right you know what i mean oh yeah i don't like know if what you I like do. lived in brooklyn uh yeah i don't know i feel like I'm the kind of person who like runs toward where everyone's running away in most cases. Right. Oh I was, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely would have gone towards. There's no way I wouldn't. Have. I was, you know, I'm always looking to like take pictures. I'm like, oh man, I like. I always like think about having like an additional roll of film on me because like, what if something happens that needs to be documented? Like, yeah. totally. That's it's just such a stupid thing to think because literally yeah. we all have fucking phones. If nine yeah. eleven happened today, it would be the most documented event in human history. Yeah, you know. Uh, so me like shooting it on a film camera and hoping I have enough frames is the, the most stupid shit I could ever think of. You how? But that's how my brain think, works. How long do you think we have until the next attack on America? I think if you had to guess, I don't know. I think we're we're due. <laughs> five years not even i don't know we were, we've been too high on the hog for too long but uh 9 no, 11 was a long time you know what i mean like there's uh there's a really great article by a friend of mine called nick uh his name's nick mcmanus he's a photographer uh but he was he does a lot of writing for like bedford and bowery and, and things like that and there's an article he wrote about how on 9 11 he was a student at hunter college and he bought a disposable camera and then walked from Hunter College to Lower Manhattan. And it's like the 27 frames that he took on that disposable camera on his like walk down on 9-11. It's really fucking good. I hope it's still online somewhere. I know he reposted it for the 15-year anniversary, but that's now like six years ago. Hmm. But really what like wild thing. But I'm like, I feel like that's like something I would have done, you know? So the yeah yeah yeahs. <laughs> um, the, let me. Um, yeah, I don't look. I um, I saw Ben Folds. Okay. Uh, I think the day after. Of uh, the day after, nine eleven. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember, like, music sort of... It felt like everything stopped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's um, wild. Yeah, I don't know. Do you know. think we have any listeners who weren't born before 
I don't know. Um, okay, we're going in a direction that's sad. <laughs> I want to go back to this. All so right. we can... Speaking of bombs, I wish Brooklyn was still bombed out. And cheap. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, it's a weird thing, right? Because, like, I would have loved to have been there, like, when it was cheap and, like, everyone seemed cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but I don't think that that's the reality of the way it was. Like, even in the documentary, they're like, tons of people from Manhattan flocked to Brooklyn. After 9-11. Right. And it was just like artists before. Yeah. Well, it was just like a place where. Next to the moldy peaches. Uh, Well, I think they were living like Fidei or something like during that time. Uh, But. I, I mean, I. It's interesting. I mean, that's how a lot of this shit works. It's like artists move somewhere because it's cheap, and then people with money moves to there because that's where the cool shit is happening. Right. You know, and then it's this, and then price out the people who made it cool, and then it this, it repeats. You know, and I mean, yeah. At the, at the time, does Williamsburg, that mean eventually that every everywhere will have been cool? I don't know. That's tough. Um. But I mean, you think about it, like Hoboken used to be cool at one point. It used to mm. be weird artists and, you know, a bunch of factories and warehouses. And now I Hoboken mean, this, is like uh, the most insufferable square mile in the country. Uh, you could say the same thing about Williamsburg. So, yeah, I mean, it's but it, it, it wasn't like that 20 years ago. You know, I remember going to a show in Williamsburg in like 2003. Okay. And it was What well, venues were out there? I mean it was it was a place called Asterisk Art Space. Okay. Which was a loft that people lived in. Um and uh in one huge room they had built a stage with sort of like I don't know, um step seating or step sort of bleachers on on okay. the outside. Real wild vibe. Huh. Um they had a beautiful, you could open it up and they had a, a, a huge, the fire escape went down to like a rooftop. Every time I hear that Menzinger song about like the rooftop in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. I think about this rooftop. Cause it was like, I had never seen like the Manhattan skyline from someone's rooftop, yeah. you know, yeah, at, yeah. at like 23 years old, that was pretty insane or 22 <laughs> years old. That was pretty ridiculous. Oh, definitely. I mean that, yeah. I remember going to Brooklyn for like, like going to shows at like suburbia and stuff. And right. like a lot of that stuff just doesn't exist. I mean, cause it's all been priced out. I mean, I'm sure it exists. Like, there's a whole like warehouse scene in fucking like Detroit, you know, it's just right. wherever is cheap that a lot of other people don't want to live is the place where artists go because they can like have a live workspace and like a lot of room. I mean, hmm. there's, there's a good example of that in, um, I used to help my buddy, John stars. Who's a photographer. He used to rent a space in Ewing. I forget what, like on a, like Warren street or something like in a bad, bad spot in Ewing. And, uh, it literally was a guy who was like a Brooklyn sculptor who bought a bunch of space, like warehouse spaces that were, you know, it's like one of those deals you buy it for a dollar and pay the back taxes, you know? And he had three buildings that one was just like, you know, 
probably the furthest along in terms of uh you know livability but it was you know he had a big kiln he had a huge floor that was just for him to like lay out his sculptures and you know plan his designs and then he had raw space for band practices and my buddy had a photo studio and like citizen cope stored his merch there for some reason and there was a recording studio on the top floor because there used to be a radio station there and he had like one of the largest floating concrete pad live rooms on the east coast uh i don't know if you've heard of it moshi moshi studios nope but uh like it was this cool space and you know the guy paid like you know you know after the back taxes probably maybe 70 grand or something but sure you know it was a you can't find that shit now unless you're like yeah like but you're in a tough spot you know you're in a bad neighborhood or you know somewhere that's not very accessible but with that comes space and freedom and that's what Williamsburg was at the time, you know? I mean, it seems like not a fun place. But if it's like previously you and your friends, you know, it could be, you know, can like, it feels like all your own, you know? I mean, there's parts of Brooklyn, like Bushwick, that still feel like that. Huh. It's still like kind of industrialized out there. Sort of. But. Um. Anyway, uh, can we fucking just keep talking about the yeah yeah yeahs? I don't give a shit. Sure. About any other stuff. Um. <laughs> I don't know. Cause I cause now I'm all derailed on twenty minutes of I don't know what we were just talking. about. I mean, about. we could talk about Interpol at Crucifest, which sounds pretty I, sick. Sure. Uh, Interpol. I never realized how much Interpol sounded like the Strokes until <laughs> watching this. <laughs> really. Yeah, I mean, like, those two things just never, never, you know, they seem like totally different bands, yeah. but but when you listen to it, it's, it's they're very similar. Like, di- completely different vocals, completely different, like, approach, but, you know, one person's playing, like, bebops on one guitar, and mm-hmm. the other one's just, like, strumming power chords. Yeah. Um, through, like, non-distorted amps. Yeah. Um, the drummer's doing, like rock beat and then like disco beat it's and they're all dressed like at least uh carlos is dressed like he's an alkaline trio the whole time i mean i like good morning era i i'm sure that but like cooler kind of like that that's what i was joking around he's wearing like a shoulder holster like a leather detective shoulder holster as like an accessory you know they don't make they don't make mention of it in this documentary um i think they do make mention of it in the book um and i know we said it on their episode but he wanted to call the uh the turn on the bright lights carlos wanted to call it um future perfect baselines yes yeah <laughs> what a fucking asshole um <laughs> they in the the book's interesting because it talks a lot about like what it was like interpersonally for them to tour and like what each member did and, and like where they all hung out and like okay. just sort of like how the scene spider webbed. And it makes it sound, the documentary makes it sound a, like there was a rivalry between the strokes and Interpol that yeah. I think like 
d- isn't real. Um, and also, um, it makes it sound like they were totally foreign from each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that there was a lot of intertwined between those two bands, or at least like they, they at the very least had a lot of mutual friends, you know? Yeah. It they was very much have. the same scene scene. Yeah. But they're talking about hanging out at like Max Fish and like those like New York bars of that era. Yeah, that like the the, the counterculture bars. So mm. it's because like Max Fish was also a big like skater hangout too. Right. You know? And yeah, it's Interpol was kind of a weird yeah, because I guess like they seem a lot more straight laced than the strokes mm-hmm. ever did. In, in like appearance and in like their music kind of has a robotic quality to it. It's like way more precise. It, it's really just like what else were they gonna do with Paul Banks's vocals? True, that is a good point. Did you see the the part where he's uh, doing like acoustic songs, like folk songs? Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I watched it. I don't know yeah. if I absorbed that part. Real but, I like never that was a shock to me and also painted like that whole thing a little bit yeah. differently. Well, like it makes it sound like they just like stumbled on an aesthetic and were like, Yeah, let's stick with this. But all but like they all met through more through like admiration of each other's fashion than they did like yeah, to be yeah. in a band together. Well didn't we talked about that on the on their interval episode, right? Or right. it's just like yeah, they were what can we do where we, you know, we already look good. We all have our own look like aesthetic. What can we do that like puts us together in the spotlight? You know, <laughs> let's start a band. Okay. So Interpol, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, they barely show, um, actually that's not true. They do show TV on the radio a lot. Just not yeah. credited. Uh, yeah. they should, they show liars like sort of uncredited. Yeah. Um, oh, they talk about the rap. Uh, the, rapture. the rapture. Yeah. That's. So, uh, did you ever care about the rapture? <sighs> I mean, I knew the one song. What was the fucking House of Jealous Lovers? House of Jealous Lovers. Yeah. God, that song fucking rips. It was one of my like top listened to songs of last year. Of last year, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like literally that one song though. Like, made their whole career. Sure. More or less. I, I mean, I guess we can talk and we can like scooch into the reason we're all here today is this talking about dfa you know and uh the sad sack that is james murphy <laughs> i don't know if it's sad it's he's um, so sad this entire thing it's, it's the whole i just feel like he's such like an obsessive a self-obsessive person yeah like um well he he there's a lot to unpack with him number one He's from Princeton Junction, New Jersey, and he went to like East Windsor High School, uh, which is pretty wild because that's the town over from where I grew up. Uh, very funny. But he came into all this like late. Like, yeah. He like he was already thirty. Like he had ten years on almost all the people featured in the stock. Right. And it's just him lamenting so much in this whole documentary i think that you and i see it very differently well i mean he he legitimately says he's like i was like engineer you know he was an engineer and like a producer and he was like yeah people just weren't hiring me (laughs) like the 
that's literally one of the first thing he talks about in the documentary is how like he was doing all this stuff within the scene, but no one wanted to hire him until he like started working with the Rapture, you know? Or no, what was it, what was the, that DJ who came to record with him that set everything in the motion? Um, the British DJ guy. Yeah. Fuck. Uh... Um. But that then, like, because he recorded that guy, like, the rapture came to record with him, and that, like, changed right. everything. Uh, this also brings us back to a thing we talk about on this podcast a lot, is that everyone fucking loves Can so much. Everyone wants to be Can. It's very cool music. I mean, yeah, I get it. But it's very funny, because he's just like, like, you know... That that DJ guy was just like he wanted to sample his way into sounding like Can, yeah. And uh, what yeah. was his name? David. David Guetta. No, <laughs> what was his name? Uh, but but yeah, James Murphy. He's just lamenting that he's old. He's saying he's like he's all washed up. His career is over. And I guess like when you frame it that way, it's like. He's a success story, you know? And there's no doubt that he is. He's very successful for what he's done. And I think there's a lot of cool shit he's done that, like, he hadn't really been credited for. Like, he was, uh... He was, like, a sound engineer for... I forget what band, but, like, a touring band that he created an entire PA system for. Like, that stuff is cool. That's so much cooler than a lot of the stuff he talks about. And, uh... Oh my god, I just, I just remembered... Do you David remember? Holmes. David Holmes. The Do you remember when James Murphy was supposed to change the sound the subway ticket machine makes? I don't. Apparently he was on board to change the tone of like when you swipe your Metro card. And it was he was going to make the make the subways musical. Uh, um, and that that came. And I think went. I he's just a dude. There's a part where, um, he's in the back of the cab with what's her name, Tracy, Jordan. God, you are fucking worthless at this. Um, <laughs> I don't know anyone's names at all. Um, uh, Tracy he's Chapman. In, he, he's in the. He's in the. He's. They're talking about. It. He's like, I don't know how to be a front man. I don't know how to do it. And he watches a video, and they do a close up of his eyes, like studying all the motions. <laughs> yeah. And I just feel like he's one of those dudes. He's really good at like doing things that he's seen his own way. Yeah. Uh, like I don't think he's a bad dude. He just seems completely insufferable. Yeah. He just he he has like an autistic quality to him. Yeah, where he just—I didn't want to say—he just seems kind of like antisocial or just like not socially inept, or he is socially inept. He's not adept, but uh, where yeah, he—I don't know. I mean, if that's the case, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Um, It's weird when you hear like Tim Goldsworthy just like call him a cunt, like (laughs) fuck him. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, I—I think I just hate how like unkempt he looks at all times. Like, I'm into it. He's he's like he has bedhead in a way that like really can only be created by sleeping on it. Like yeah, he also has zero neck and it's all covered in stubble. Oh, I that's my other note. I hate it because he yeah he has like a weak chin 
and then a full neck beard that connects directly to his like chest hair. And like if he just like gave it a little line, he could ha- he like he could form himself a nice little chin there, you know? You know what's crazy is that I sort of think it's cool. Uh, I have the, quite the neck a beard neck is beard tough. going on right now. I mean, because I, like I just don't care some days. Yeah, but also when your neck beard is also like it's different. Like I have a, a decent length beard, and then like I have some stubble because I haven't shaved in like two days on my neck. But his is just the same even length <laughs> neck like beard to chin. Yeah. It just looks so, bad. So do you care about um, LCD at all? No. Okay. Uh, I liked the documentary just because I thought it was a good music documentary. Shut yeah. up and play the hits. I think was yeah, it's yeah. well done. Yeah, and it it put the music in a perspective that I appreciated more than I did before. Yeah. Uh, all I know is like Daft Punk is playing my house is like a song. I think it was on like Dave Mira's BMX like mm. video game, and I just heard it incessantly. And I'm just like, mm. this kind of sucks. I don't know. Um, it's I. It's interesting in this doc because yeah, James Murphy has a very weird arc in this where he's just like, it's kind of funny when they show him being like hyper nervous about taking ecstasy for the first time. Yeah, and and then he, but then he totally turns into like, dude, ecstasy changed my whole life, and like I've never done ecstasy, so maybe that's what I'm missing. But uh. Yeah, there's have th- you ever have you ever had uh, any experience with psychedelics? No, no. See, I, I, the, I, it's an awful, corny thing is I'm about to a say. Psychedelic and I, no, but I, it's still a drug that, like, I think has psychedelic properties. Okay, I would. I don't think I would call it a psychedelic, but it's not like a um, like a, a visual, like a hallucinatory. It's more of an no. auditory. Sure. Um, I just, I think that everybody should have some psychedelic experience. Like if it's not your bag, it's not your bag. And I, and I totally understand that, but I think there's like, there's something that happens that like reorganizes your brain a little bit in a way that like, I think I found helpful. It's not something I do often, but let's, uh, I microdosed. I microdosed a lot when I worked at a ceremony because, like, why the fuck not? But let's uh, let's uh, go to uh, Ocean City this summer and do DMT. Well, then, what are we going to do with the rest of like the day? That's like fifteen minutes. (laughs) Well, we'll go take pictures of the uh, of the the building from the cover of. Nothing feels good. I was I was really hoping you were to say like let's let's eat a couple grams of mushrooms and just explore our feelings, but sure, explore our bodies, explore our feelings. You know, I don't. I'm not exploring your body. But... <laughs> You've already explored enough. Um, <laughs> okay, so Ryan, Ryan I, Adams makes an appearance in this. I do hold your horses. Okay. I do care about the LCD discography okay like i listen to it often um this is it uh not this is it this is happening (laughs) is uh is a record that i i put on frequently um liz absolutely hates it okay um but like i think i like his whole discography i didn't really get into american dream but like pre like last msg show i think i liked all that like 
um, he's a dude that like, you can tell by watching any interview with him that he's like a, a difficult person to be around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but like, I don't know that it makes, he makes music that I really enjoy anyway. I like that he, he, there's footage of him crying in this, which is good. Is there? I thought they were, he just talked about crying. No, I forget what I think. I don't know. Maybe there's a is little it, both. I forget what triggered it, but it, it oh, uh, the the rapture, the leaving rapture DFA. leaving made him yeah, made him cry. It's like the worst thing. It's the worst thing that ever it, that could happen when you put so much work into an artist. Yeah, but also like I don't know why they were holding on and not just releasing that record. Like he seemed to be upset about it. Yeah, um, yeah, just like they were, and it, it sounded like he understood why they would leave. Yeah. Um, but I could also understand being upset. They were also not happy with like House of Jealous Lovers. Um, you know, they talk about it in the in the book about how like James Murphy rushed them through everything yeah. and was like, "This is my way." Um, and they allude to it in the in the film about how, um, you know, what was that? The singer from The Rapture had always like done things like produce their material. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, James Murphy sort of didn't give him the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, uh, you know, they talk about like all the guitars. I, if I remember this correctly, all the guitars, um, on that house of jealous lovers single were like not supposed to be the final guitars. Oh, and James Murphy was just like, Nope, these are perfect. These are perfect. Keep them. Wow. Um, but yeah, um, I uh, I still think that first EP is the best thing they ever did. The yeah, it's the Rapture, not yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's wacky. That yeah, he's he's a very emotional guy. He's a very specific guy. It's just it's it's interesting to see him like interact with the world. I actually like saw him in in Williamsburg probably five or six years ago now that's uh i was walking through williamsburg and you know how like some of those bars or like brunch spots have like the kind of like bar seating that faces like the window facing the street sure uh and like in the summertime they open them up and you're like facing the sidewalk and it was james murphy and his wife having like brunch on like a saturday morning uh-huh and just and like it was probably a good like four steps higher than the sidewalk level and uh -huh. there was just a dude on the sidewalk punishing him like talking about music to James Murphy at like 11am on a saturday morning and Awful. he's just not stoked he's he's love that he's kind of you know giving the guy some time, but he's not stoked about it. And like that's my that's Oof. my one experience with James Murphy was just seeing him get absolutely obliterated by some insufferable man. Um I uh, yeah. I love Ryan Adams' weird appearance in the in this whole thing. Well he like he like wedged him his way in. And they even talk about it. He's just like I was neighbors with the strokes. Yeah. And I was in, like, it was my goal to be friends with them. Yeah. Also, what they don't talk about is that. The allegations. 
Ryan Gentles, the strokes manager, also managed Ryan Adams. Oh, that's actually like, really funny. Get fucking real. <laughs> like, there was a, there was a part of that when they were talking about it in the documentary that I was just like, this is fucking. Yeah, they, they make it sound like nothing. he. Yeah, like he was like tracking them down. But it is very yeah. funny that he like was was friends with like what Fabrizio or whatever. And Albert Hammond Jr. What? Oh, Albert, yeah. Uh, and Julian apparently was like, if you hang out with Ryan, if you, like, threatened Ryan Adams that he was going to beat him up if he hung out with Albert again. Right. I mean... But he did get I Albert, like, hooked on, like, drugs and shit. So, heroin? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a... It's a it's an allegation that Ryan Adams this whole time has said is not true. Although yeah. I don't I don't know. He's such a smarmy fucking he little really turd. Is. He's so greasy. That I don't believe that I would I don't think I would ever believe a word out of that. Well, fucking Albert dork's literally mouth. talks about being on heroin. Right. <laughs> but he's I mean, like, like, oh, I, I always just knew I'd be addicted to heroin as a kid. That's crazy. I always knew that's um, what like making it was. It's like that's yeah, insane. I, you know, they I like, did Ryan Adams even talked about supplying him with drugs yeah. at one point yeah. during the? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think people are responsible for their own actions, but mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I mean, it sort of goes both ways. Like, if he didn't want to keep doing heroin, why would he keep hanging out with Ryan fucking Adams of all people? Yeah, it sounds awful. Yeah. Uh, funniest part of the entire documentary, though, is. That Ryan Albert and the other guy uh, going on MTV with Courtney going on Love. MTV, yeah. just, I remember watching that. Oh man, I remember when like the Jackass dudes did a twenty four hours. That was yeah. really funny. But uh, but I love that they went on live TV just to like fall asleep. Yeah, I think that's also, so fucking funny. And it's weird that like people would care about Courtney Love for twenty four hours at I that mean, point. She was huge at that. You know. I mean that was oh, like yeah. peak hole era. Like hole had just like put out celebrity, celebrity skin. skin. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I I just love that they went to bed and then Ryan Adams is there like playing acoustic songs yeah. recording. <laughs> it's like it's fucking wild. this is my chance. I'm gonna get the guys from the strokes to get us in, and then they're gonna be so doped up that I'm gonna get to play my fucking songs on MTV. Right. So good. So who comes after Ryan Adams? Uh, it kind of balances between. Then that's the big. Uh, I think Interpol was writing their second record, right? Um, and it got leaked, and that was like. Oh, and yeah, that also leads to the other funniest part of this documentary is, uh, everyone complaining about peer-to-peer uh file sharing services, uh-huh. and James Murphy getting mad. That people are playing rare records at the club. Not not any records that they're a part of, but records that he knew about first. Yeah. And he's like, it's not fair that people can play the Liquid Liquid Optimo record. I found that record in Europe 12 years ago. It's not fair that anyone can have access to it. And he's just like... Yeah, he's, maybe he belongs with us. He's gatekeeper <laughs> he's gay- fuck. I do appreciate the gatekeeping. But it is very funny to complain that a club DJ is playing a record that only you knew about six months previously. And, uh, 
And I just think that's really fucking funny. Uh, I mean, if that's like, the secret to your sauce, like I could get. Yeah, you're playing rare that, Euro dance club hits yeah. that no one knows about. Uh, I think it was funny um, when he put he is showing uh, losing my edge to Tim Goldsworthy, and Tim <laughs> Goldsworthy's like, "You can't put this out. Yeah. You cannot put like, you know." I, he talks about like the sanctity of like. Uh, the tradition of dance music yeah, and how like, like dance music always had smart lyrics. Keeping like a stiff upper lip too about that. But I, I do uh it's very much like do you remember like the um it's now part of like a long line of songs just like that. Like uh do you remember the Say Anything song Admit It? That's yes. also railing Holy against like shit. Brooklyn hipsters. It's the same exact I thing. I hated it. I oh love that god, song. it's so fucking corny. I love that first record. Um you you can still stand by that song. No, I think it's hilarious because it's such a product of its time. But uh, there was it bothers me because I don't know. It was it was it was telling people that it's like okay to be so judgy. I'm judgy <laughs> as fuck, but also like I would like to think that socially I'm a very like oh, open minded. Yeah. Let's all hang yeah, out yeah, person. Yeah. I'm only like I'm I'm accepting in the streets and judgy in the sheets. Um I yeah, I I like well, the thing that losing my edge is like it's just him saying I discovered all this stuff first, but I'm mm-hmm. like not allowed to be mad about it, you know? Right. And I mean, can you imagine like writing a song to shake off the anger of like losing an artist that you cared about and also like Napster. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a wild concept. It's to, like funny. launch a band on. Yeah. I mean, it's, but that record's fucking good. That song's fucking good. I need to re-listen to it. I, I read the lyrics and he's again talking about like seeing can like at a time that it was before he was born. Right. So like he's, he's being very, you know, tongue in cheek a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he was born in like 74 or something, right? But uh, I'm trying to think what other things I have in my notes. Yeah, we're definitely coming to the end of the of the the doc, but Okay, so the documentary ends very abruptly. Um uh the strokes are the strokes are writing uh Room on Fire. They don't uh-huh. ever talk about it. It's nope. something they talk about at length on in the book. Oh, okay. Um about how like how mishandled the release of that record was. Um, and like that, the, just the, the bobbling of that really tanked the band in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, it's weird because the, so the, the book sort of goes, and this is sort of like the, the strokes are mentioned sort of the whole time. And like, once a band is introduced, they're kind of like in it for the, for the rest of the book. Yeah. But like the beginning is Jonathan fire eater. And then that moves into like the Strokes and Interpol, mm-hmm. the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, or the Yeah Yeahs are kind of after when they start talking about Brooklyn. Yeah, because um, those are two very different scenes. But they um, like a lot of those bands moved from downtown Manhattan to Brooklyn. Right. Oh, that's the other thing uh, that's funny is is James Murphy's like, oh, we were from Manhattan and they were all all the cool stuff was in Brooklyn and we were so yeah. left out. Um. Yeah, I think. I think the book also introduces TV on the radio before the strokes. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so there's like that. And then it sort of moves from that into, um, the killers and Kings of Leon. Oh, and I never thought of those being 
anywhere near the same scene, but it was all sort of that. They're products of that scene for sure. Yeah, but like, just that... it's Kings of Leon, a New York band. Is no, the Killers they aren't were a New from York like, band either, right? No, they're Vegas. But yeah, I guess it, they were just all part of the same scene. They, well, it spurned a very funny trend it's of like spurned. the the bands, right? Like the Strokes, the Killers, the Bravery, yeah. the Hives. Uh-huh. Uh, the Hives were in the book. The Vines. The Vines are in the book. I think because um, that was again, it was like a weird like, era of, of like mod rock like suit right. rock like everyone was wearing suits what bothers me is that at the end of the i would say a good like last quarter of the book is all about vampire weekend oh and it sucks that vampire weekend isn't even mentioned because vampire you, weekend i feel like is sort of important to like i think they showed up so far after but not really that i know far. what was the first record 2006 uh, I maybe uh let me look. I'm looking too. We're all looking. Let's all look together. Uh Okay. Vampy Week. 2008. 2008. That's right. so, so late. So that's not even that far removed, you know what I mean? But I feel like you need to talk about Vampire Weekend as part of the New York scene to like bookend this whole but that was thing. like a different era of music though. I don't think it like, was. Cuz like Room on Fire is 2003. Right. That's a that's five years apart. That's and that's huge considering this whole documentary takes place. This whole revolution takes place within five years. Okay, but like when did let's look at the LCD? Like when these records all came out. Yeah. Right. So the first record, the self-titled, comes out in two thousand five. Okay. Uh, and then Sound of Silver comes out in two thousand ten. I mean, this I think I think the only reason even that that LCD is included in this is because he had such a reach with the bands before LCD. Like, if if the Rapture didn't exist, but LCD Sound System still existed, do you think LCD Sound System would have made the doc? I don't think LCD Sound System would have existed without the Rapture. Well, that existing. I'm saying though is like let's say they're separate entities. Like I think the reason LCD and that whole like the end of this doc is the beginning of LCD. I think is only in it because of the connection he has with the Rapture. I don't. I don't agree. I think that. I think that he's included because he was a huge part of the Brooklyn scene and had like left the Manhattan scene. But I don't and th- sort of like treaded did. between both things. I don't know. I don't think he ever moved to Brooklyn, did he? I mean, eventually, yeah. I'm sure he did. But he was just talking about I mean, how he, he lives is, there now. I mean, but- yeah, but we, we confirmed. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I I never lumped an LCD sound system with the rest of these bands. Right. Sonically, it doesn't sound the same. Uh, I mean, I guess putting the Rapture in with these bands, they were still kind of an offshoot in terms of like what became the hives and the vines and all those bands are more closely tethered to the strokes than the rapture. Yeah. You know, I agree, but also, and they definitely don't sound like TV on the radio, but also there's a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of like dance parties going on. The DFA parties were a huge part of like that scene exploding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's interesting because like there were a lot of other music scenes happening at this time in New York. Sure. You know, like what? Like where's the where's the documentary about Level Plane? 
and the and sure. like the uh like uh, I mean, ABC honestly, no Rio we'll, scene, you know? Do you think we'll ever get one? Do you think there'll ever be a screamo documentary? I hope so. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I think I think eventually someone will make a documentary that will cover um, from right to spring until Fallout Boy. So, like, you want the uh, the nothing feels good uh, book doc. Like the was no, it Lee, Lee I, just, I didn't like the way I, you, we talked about this. Before. I I think it's a great book. Uh, it's fine. Um, I think I think there's more interesting things to talk about than like what I he think necessarily you could do like rites of spring to dashboard confessional unplugged. Like that gap, I think is like from truly like the underground emo core basement scene to f- literally. On one, like one of the biggest, besides maybe, you know, uh, the Nirvana unplugged, like MTV unplugged sessions. Um, I don't know, man. I think I think Fallout Boy playing the Super Bowl is a little like. <laughs> well, yeah, but that was still like further down the more line. More shocking, you yeah, know. but not that much. I mean, but again, two thousand four, these... two thousand five. Was it really that soon? I mean, when did Cork Tree come out? Because that was it. They played it from Cork Tree. That's fucking insane. That's crazy. Uh, right? Maybe not the maybe not the Super Bowl, but I know they I know they left a tour of the early November. That's insane. Um, to play a football halftime at a football game. Oh, Cork Tree was 06. Okay. Infinity on High was 07. Wow. I never got that late. I was out at Cork Tree. Nah, uh, Infinity on High had tracks. I don't think I've ever listened to it. Um, but. Yeah, I what don't know. year was Dashboard Confessional unplugged? 2003, I think? It was 2004, maybe? 2002. 2002, okay. I guess so, that like, makes sense, Yeah, I think though. like 82 to 2002, like 20 years is a good span. Was Right to Spring 82? Or was it later? I think it was, yeah, around there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a lot. There's a lot there. And then, you know, because then it literally, like, dashboard doing that mtv is like when it hit main mainstream you know right i think those are just good bookends of beginning and like an end point where you can kind of assume where it's gone since then but yeah i don't know i think the the maps video was a turning point on a lot of stuff i think that was just like a moment i it's it's interesting in the doc seeing that as what's essentially the return of the yeah yeah yes because i didn't realize like the whole shit that happened with like her getting injured at a show and then like really yeah. kind of taking the wind out of their sails and they did maps and it like, it felt like another bookmark of the era, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the maps video was like as big as like, I mean meant as much that scene as like the last night video, right? Like, yeah. And that's all in the same trajectory. Yeah. It's uh. It's pretty wild, but uh, yeah, I guess closing it out. What do you uh, do? You care about any of this still? Like, well, do you go back to any of this? I kind of, I kind of love just as a last little note of what happens in the doc is I, I do really love the scene of James Murphy talking shit on a like a message board. <laughs> yeah, and is it who's who's the person with her? Is it his wife at the time or like? No, no, no. That was uh, the person from the band. Oh, oh yeah. And she's just like, why, 
why are you even bothering? He's like, no, no, just I just need to say this. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's just arguing with someone on like Facebook. It's so stupid. I think it was an email, but maybe. But he's talking about I like what you. people are saying in. Uh, oh no, that part. I mean, he was talking like you see him typing into like an email interview, yeah. but he's like complaining about the things people are saying and like getting wrong in like a message board. Thread. Yeah, and it's just like wow, what a dork. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like, what do I care about this music? I think I learned to appreciate Interpol a lot more when we did the episode with Nisa, uh, just because I listened to it more critically. Uh, I might go back and watch like Shut Up and Play the Hits again to maybe try to skew my perspective on James Murphy a little better. Um, I... Yeah, it just made me want to listen to like Liars. I went and dug up like yeah. the song they were playing in that little 30 second clip. And uh Liars put out some weird stuff. They yeah. they were like really doing some weird shit. Uh oh, it's also to think that it's insane that the Strokes took the Moldy Peaches to Europe on tour to open for them. There's imagine? an entire part where they talk about how the Strokes launched regina specter's career jesus that's crazy By like bringing her on tour and how like strokes fans would just scream like fuck you shut up every night <laughs> oh my god yeah can you imagine um anyway like uh, okay i like i like most of the lcd discography okay. um i like those early ryan adams records uh Actually, I really mostly just go back to Love as Hell now, but you know, Heartbreaker's great. Um I I I prefer Room on Fire to Is This It? Okay. And I think Antics is just okay and uh Turn on the Bright Lights is probably the best of all of them. I should get more into TV on the radio. I know I'll like I, it. I think I think it definitely wanted like I I should probably revisit cuz I've never given TV on the radio on a cha- a chance and like even just hearing that like that like live video clip they play. It's so good. It's so, like they're I'm like wow, these they really are like the most talented band out of any yeah. of these like even just vocal performance wise. Like yeah. truly talent, talented weirdos, you know. Yeah. Um but I mean, they were huge for a while. Like, I, were they also adjacent to like Pretty Girls Make Graves at the time? Was that like a? Oh, maybe I. I feel Pretty like I remember them being. They were like. Uh... I remember like TV on the radio, Pretty Girls Make Graves, and then like um, Block Party being like in a similar grouping. I don't know if they're related. I mean, Block Party's British, so I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, but I think it was wouldn't... all like that era of MTV2 is like my perspective of a lot of right. hearing beat this stuff. Music. And, yeah, the beat music. <laughs> um, well, this was fun. I had a fun time this watching fun. this, especially because I've, I've, I read the book twice. Yeah, any other book parallels that don't make it to the... I mean, there's so much. Yeah, uh, there's so much that I that I've forgotten. What like, did they have to say about Vampire Weekend? Because Vampire Weekend, I feel like they're included in the sense that they're like a New York band that birthed a lot of other things. But I think it was a different scene. Like, like Vampire Weekend was like an NYU band, right? No, they were a Columbia band. Columbia, okay. Um, but they're like, it's still Manhattan, you know? It's right. still not... 
in the um, warehouses in Brooklyn. Yeah, I just think that like I think I think the parallel is there was a very um there was a very like I don't know, concise conceptualized point of the music they were making. Okay. Right? Not necessarily similar, yeah. but like you know, um they talk about all the strokes it influences, you know, yeah. uh, television and, you know, and then they talk about all the, you know, all the um, Vampire Weekend references. I mean, Ezra Koenig, they, they talked to Ezra Koenig and, and at one point he's like, you know, I had, he had parents who like were into good music, but also into like pop music from across the world. So like at an early age, he had like a very good knowledge of yeah. like all styles of pop music from around the world. Yeah. And so like when you look at it through that, it's less just like Graceland worship and maybe, you know, a little bit deeper than that, but I don't know. I think they're both, you know, they're, there was a part, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, there's a part in the book where they're they're talking to like Ross Dam and and Ezra about like starting the band, and they were very serious about like not ever using what they called strokes beat, yeah, not ever using strokes beat or not ever using uh, um, disco beat as to not sound like the Strokes, yeah, um, or the Rapture, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, but I think that's them taking like a very specific way to not be associated with that era of new york rock music you know i don't know i think it's it's definitely interesting um do you think the strokes uh julian casablanca is having a very famous father did anything for them yeah of course <laughs> i mean like albert hammond jr's dad being like a modeling uh Wait, was his dad a model agent? Like a model? Uh, I think his dad was also a modeling that's agent. Because yeah, John Casablancas ran Elite Models or whatever, right? And was also like um, in a lot of trouble. <laughs> like if you read his Wikipedia, it's fucked. It's insane yeah. the wild shit um, he did. Or like Albert Hammond Senior did something. Did he create like, the, the some Hammond kind of Borgen businessman? I'm just gonna start ignoring when you say stuff to throw me off. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know about Nikolai or, or like the other members, but I feel like at least having two famous dads probably doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know, especially New York famous people. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't know. I wonder what that's like to have that kind of leg up. Yeah. We should try it sometimes. Hmm. The uh but yeah, I think uh I think we should do more of these. I think we should do more music doc. Uh, discussion. Yeah, we should do the. Uh, we should do the uh, Saddle Creek one. Yeah, I guess that makes more sense than what I was going to pitch. <laughs> what, so what were you going to find? Well, I really like that. I've only seen it once, but I really like that documentary about Billy Bragg and Wilco making Mer the Mermaid Avenue record. Oh, I mean, I have no frame of reference for that at all. Um, they took, uh, I guess. Um, What's his name? Oh, God, I can't remember. He's like a, a great American folk singer. <laughs> what 
Woody Guthrie. Okay. His, Woody Woody Guthrie's daughter gave them gave Billy Bragg like notebooks of songs that Woody had written and never recorded. Oh wow! So Billy Bragg took those songs and teamed up with Wilco to make um like a bunch of records called Mermaid Avenue. Damn, different volumes of Mermaid Avenue, and it was all Woody Guthrie songs that he had never released. That's pretty cool. And it's incredible. I mean, they're incredible songs. I guarantee you've heard California stars before. Okay. Um, it's been on every playlist, but it's, it's an insane listen an insane watch. There's also the Wilco docu. I don't know if you care about that band, but like there's the Wilco documentary. We could talk about the death cab, uh, um, sleep well, drive, no sleep carefully, drive well. Okay. Maybe a drive well, sleep carefully. I don't know. It's those four words in some kind of arrangement. Yeah. Um, but that one's really good. It's one of the only movies I own on iTunes. So when I get on a plane, I watch it a lot because it's already <laughs> downloaded to my phone. Perfect. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I love, I'll watch most music documentaries. Yeah. Um, a big one is Dig. About Brian Jonestown Massacre. Okay. And I think the Dandy Warhols. Interesting. Yeah, these are all bands I know that never listened to. Man, I wish somebody would make a good, like, emo documentary. Uh, There's enough footage. There's gotta be. Um, I think, I think somebody's, I, I, but somebody could do it and make it real bad. Oh, like if I fucking mean, Tom Mullen did it, it would be fucking awful. <laughs> I like Tom, but like, I mean, there's there's definitely plenty of books. I mean, I think between nothing feels good. I think is is the standard in terms of history books for that era. Uh, I get when I look at the cover of that, I feel cringe. It's just like a guy with his arms crossed with like a shirt that says. It's, it's a guy, it's a skinny guy with wristbands on uh-huh. and like a maroon thrift store shirt. I mean, that's exactly how I dress, though. Maybe not the wristbands, no, but... I, yeah, I don't it, think I could ever respect that's exactly, someone wearing That's wristbands. exactly how Chris Caraba dressed in the early 2000s, that's, though. I mean, I know he, played, he had wristbands when he played, but like... I mean, I that know, was man. the aesthetic I can't get back down then. With that. I, for nerds, well, yeah. I mean, I was around back then. That wasn't my aesthetic. <laughs> I mean, I wore thrift store shirts for sure. With khaki sure, pants, I did too. But I sort of draw the line at wristbands. Yeah, because I don't, I don't recognize that as being part of the same scene. Wristbands were like, like what Hello Goodbye brought to the scene. Oh, like I yeah, hate to like, slander my friends <laughs> in no way, but. I mean, you know but I mean? that was that I, I, like, was shit. attack attack is like wristband shit. Uh, I, I don't actually that. know what attack attack sounds yeah, like. Yeah, not anything emo. Unless you're talking about attack attack UK, which is a different band. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's more accurate than you'd like to admit. Um, but I think it's a good. I mean, I've read the book. I I could use a reread on it. Uh, maybe we can do it. <laughs> RATG book club as well. But. It's, uh, I mean, I, I also have Everybody Hurts, I think it is, which is the one, the other emo history book about that, like, the people from Alternative Press wrote, which is 
I don't even think cringier. I know that one is it? Yeah, uh, I haven't read that one since it came out, and it's it Here's was not thing. as well it's written. Such, it's such a mocked genre that it's so hard to get like the cooler, like more memorable parts across. You know what I mean? That that's why I think nothing feels good. Did a good job at it because they I don't they know. they actually talk about it in a reverent way that isn't too cheesy yeah andy greenwald um when i think of like some of the greatest moments of that era for me i remember going to like a matinee show it used to be normal that like if a band was playing if a tour was doing a 21 and up show Uh that they would do an all ages like matinee show Mm -hmm. at the church oh that's cool and I miss like the 1 p.m. I remember going to see um, Raina Maria and uh, Joan of Arc at the church. Um, and it was like 1 p.m. It That's was amazing. Sick. I got out, the sun was still shining. Yeah, go out I had, like, and get an dinner. entire another day. You know? That's great. Yeah, that is nice. I just don't think, I don't think anybody, there was like, I don't know. The church would I still this... do stuff like that. They they would do like acoustic session in the sanctuary. Right. I and, think I think the church doing sanctuary shows ruined like what I like about the church. Really? I've I never actually yeah, but also, saw like a I don't care. Show, it's but... not it, this world isn't built for my comfort. It doesn't matter <laughs> what I fucking like and don't. Yeah. But the only show I I've seen a bunch of shows in in the in the uh, in the sanctuary. Um, do you want to know the first band to play the sanctuary? Sure. My high school band. Really? So you right were part after of co- no. ruining it for right, yourself. Nope. Right after Columbine. <laughs> okay. Um, it was a Unitarian church and they had done like some kind of like service for the youth and, and the bass player, in my high school band, um, he had booked a couple shows at the church. He had booked that Braid Farewell Tour show. He had booked um, Nat Sacking at the Drive-In. Um, like, I don't know how. Like, he just did it. Yeah, you know what I mean? I don't even remember how a high school kid booked shows at the, in the church basement. But um, if I don't... If I remember right, we were the one, the first ones to find the carpet that is now like the church the carpet. carpet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but our high school band, they had, they had asked him because he was booking shows there. If like our band would come and play for like the people, the people in the church. And he said yes, without asking any of us. And, uh, and it was fine. It was very, very fucking weird to play for people who did not, who do not care about your band yeah. sitting in church. Um, I played a mineral cover acoustic. Oh, that's cool. What's what song? Love letter typewriter. Okay. Um, anyway, I, that does none of this matters. <laughs> I, I don't, whatever. Um, Dan, it was nice seeing you again. Thank yeah. you all to our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, thank you. Um, I feel like by the time this, well, I don't know when this comes out, doesn't even matter. This is Patreon only, and we don't have to care about like 
all the other stuff. Yeah, we got we got some cool stuff coming up though. So keep your eyes peeled on that uh, on that feed. We get some cool guests. Big year, big year for us so far. Yeah, big year, big year. All right. Do you know that a year ago today you sent me the logo for the first time? Really? Yeah. I guess we started recording in in February. February. Yeah, because we got we, yeah. we banked three episodes for release. Damn. Yeah, for March first. Well, happy anniversary, Andrew. Hey, uh, couldn't have done it without me. So um, true. Dan, very nice seeing you again. Of course. Um, I hope everyone has a nice rest of your day and. I hope you don't have to watch this documentary. <laughs> yeah, now I think we've pretty much said everything. People don't need to watch it for themselves. But uh, perfect. Yeah. Bye bye. Wow. Well.